Ah, sound of a crowded bar. Wow, do I miss this. I miss sitting down for drinks with a friend and having a good conversation. And if you're a choir director like I am, I know, sort of a niche market here, then you also miss going to conferences and meeting new people. So that's why we're here, to have a drink and to introduce you to some new people, composers specifically. We will, of course, talk about their music and get into some music-specific topics, but the plan is to keep things pretty casual. Just a couple of people having drinks and chatting about things that interest them. I'm Brad Pearson, and this is the Composer Happy Hour. Uh, welcome to the Composer Happy Hour, presented by Whatever and Ever Amen. My name is Brad Pearson, and we are joined this evening by Josh Shank. Josh, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Welcome. Uh, so glad to have you here with us tonight. And... Uh, we're going to drink a little bit, and we're going to talk, and uh, we're going to share our uh, our exploits with the masses, uh, as it were. And uh, I'm just so excited to have you here. I've uh, long been an admirer of your work, and we will talk a little bit about that, but I hope that we talk about uh, a lot of things that are not choral-related also, because uh, that's what I'm kind of really interested in. And uh, yeah, so thanks again for being here. My pleasure. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> Well, uh, when I got uh, your email and kind of talked about the sort of concept behind this, uh, I was kind of freaking out a little bit um, because I was like, oh, I can drink a beer because every now, you know, I, I enjoy a beer. But then I was like, oh, let me, let's make this kind of a bit of an occasion because uh, we're in a pandemic and it's something to do. So yeah. I thought to uh, like, do is there an iconic drink in like my life? And uh, I just kind of flashed back to uh, my time in graduate school. Uh, at uh, and you know you go to grad school with with your friends and you sort of you know, debrief about what the day and things like that and we always used to go to this place in Austin uh, called, it's no longer there um, it's called Dolce Vita uh, and uh, it was kind of this little little cafe they made paninis and they had like a gelato uh, spread and uh, and they they made nice uh, martinis and so we always used to get this thing called the botanist martini which uh, is uh, it was very specific, right? So at, uh, I knew the bartender. Um, as a good graduate student, you had to go yeah, where, sure. like, you know, the, the deals were, you know. Um, and uh, so it has um, Hendrix gin and then a little bit of uh, Saint Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur. Yeah. And, uh, and served with a little uh, cucumber. Nice. And then there's there's some uh, blueberries floating around in there too. Nice. <laughs> it's a slow drink though, so yeah, you know. sure. I was, I was like, we're going to do this. It's a composer happy hour. I don't want to get shit-faced, you know? Yeah, right. So I, um, I am drinking very slow. I am not as fancy as you, and I am drinking beer. Um, <clears throat> but I, it is, it's somewhat somewhat fancy, I suppose. So this is a, a 2017 coffee bourbon barrel oil of Aphrodite, which is a, a walnut stout. Uh, so it's got a walnut stout with, and that's not fancy. Well, right. Uh, with coffee <laughs> added and aged in bourbon barrels, uh, it's been sitting in my cellar, uh, since 2017. Um, uh, and cool. so, uh, I'm a, I, I'm an equal opportunity drinker. Uh, I like scotch. I like wine. I like anything that's done really well. Um, but beer is probably my, my go-to as maybe, um, you may be able to figure out by the fact that I told you I have a cellar with beer. 
<laughs> yeah, I normally don't actually even keep liquor in the house, so this was a very special yeah. occasion. I went down to the the uh, uh, walk down to the market and found these things yesterday. So sure. this is my first botanist martini in like I don't know five years. There so. you go. Well, uh, cheers. Yeah. So I um funny actually I I've been doing a a mostly dry February. Uh, which um, has been interesting. But I say mostly dry because aside from uh, tonight, I've been drinking non-alcoholic beer uh, throughout uh. the month, which is um, kind of an exploding part of the industry. It's a, a huge growth uh, uh, sector. So uh, it's been it's been pretty good, but I'm enjoying the opportunity to have a nice boozy <laughs> beer tonight. Oh, I'm happy to help you uh, mm -hmm. on uh, and uh, you know meet that goal. Yeah, we did we did dry January here, uh, and it was it was great. It was wonderful. Well, I just thought February's got a few less days. That makes it a little more palatable. <laughs> That's correct. <clears throat> Actually, I just didn't really think about it until uh, halfway through January. So uh, yeah. Uh, well, let's start. Uh, I mentioned I uh, thought we might do a little uh, James Lipton esque beginning so uh tell us where and when you were born uh i was born uh november 19th 1980 i'm a scorpio uh in muscatine iowa which is a a, a small city on on the mississippi i lived uh, a lot of my a lot of my life was on the mississippi believe it or not hmm. uh yeah so that's uh, when i was born. interesting because i was i was born in davenport iowa I've lived in Davenport. How about that? I mean, I remember I was there for uh, two months. Do you remember Whitey's ice cream? No. See, I, I left there when I was two months old. So I, I, ah. I have not spent much time there. Um, but uh, yeah, so well, I guess we were we were close together at, at one point. Uh, Absolutely. What are your uh, parents' names? Uh, my mother's name is Susan and my father's name is Alan, uh, although... Uh, kind of in his mid forties, he decided that he wanted for for a spell. He wanted to be kind of a he wanted to be called Ray Bob uh, because he was really cultivating this folksy kind of uh, middle aged life. Uh, he's uh, and Ray Bob is one of my favorite people in the whole world. So uh, sh shout out to Ray Bob, Alan go. Shank, we love you. <laughs> and uh, and what did your parents do? Uh, so my mother was an OBGYN nurse for her entire career. She also taught uh, Lamaze um, and uh, was the lactations consultant for Des Moines County. So uh, childbirth is kind of like a thing that was I grew up with. Uh, sure. it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a mystery to a lot of people, but um, I always like to joke that I um, I know I, I know more about childbirth than a lot of like straight women do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's because of my mom. Uh, and then my dad was a grocer. Um, he, uh, for most of his career, he was um, the store director, which is kind of like the head honcho at um, a grocery store uh, chain called High V, which sure. you know your Midwestern listeners will will know. I, I, we don't I, have I, them out I, here in Boston. <laughs> and so, um, was music a big part of uh, your household growing up? I mean, are your are your parents musical? Um, yeah. Um, gosh, it's, we sort of. I, my the the influence of my parents comes from they come from very different avenues like my mother would play those uh she's a, a pianist um and she would play those uh the schubert pieces the uh, moments musical uh kind of the um around, around the house um she she would say that i'm a better piano player than her now but i would disagree with her <laughs> um 
And then my dad has no musical training, but um, was always singing and always listening to records. Um, you know, where my mother would be like, this is called Schubert. My dad would be like, that is called Schubert. This is called Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, you know, love and adore Franz Schubert and Tom Petty very equally um, for very different reasons. Uh, he also was a huge fan of ACDC. Uh, so he took me to an ACDC concert, probably like 2005 or 2006. And uh, I blew out my eardrums. There's two days that my ears rang and I was like, I've done permanent damage. Luckily yeah. it, it it was yeah. good, but yeah, uh, and those, are, those are the two kind of musical things. Were Did you enjoy the music that they enjoyed at the time, or was it more um, kind of retrospectively? Did it Was it something you came to appreciate later? That's a good question. And, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer how I think. I'm, I'm going to answer, and I I'm, I'm, would be curious to know how others felt about this. Uh, I, I think I enjoyed it because they enjoyed it. Hmm. Um, I never, you know, I, I didn't become a serious musician until I was a senior in high school. Um, I did this Suzuki uh, string program from the ages of three to age 12. Uh, and this is not a brag because I cannot play violin anymore. But as a 12 year old, they were busing me up to the high school so I could sit first chair, second violin with the high school orchestra. Um, and I've lost all that. <laughs> I can scratch out sure. twinkle, twinkle, little star, but that's it. Um, and it was just like a thing that you did. I, I didn't, I don't necessarily feel like I, I was like really passionate about like Steely Dan, you know, mm -hmm. like my dad loved that band and I love that band now. Um, but I think I just liked it cause he liked it, you know, and yeah. I have grown into my enjoyment of those musics, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I remember, um, driving around Illinois where I grew up uh, and listening to my parents' music and very much not liking it uh, because they, they liked it. Um, the what Beatles, it? the Beatles I came into uh, relatively young and I, I started liking the Beatles pretty soon uh, on, but I remember my dad in particular listening to a lot of Neil Young and a lot of Bob Dylan uh, crazy horse and yeah. i think both of those are maybe acquired tastes for a lot of people um they're not exactly the uh, kind of quintessential vocal models um have you heard bob dylan's christmas album no oh you definitely did. <laughs> so it was all he did it and all the proceeds went to charity you know thank you bob uh it is terrifying and fascinating at the same time uh, and because sure. it's like it's like bob dylan of 2006 and he has that yeah, right. like that kind of uh and he sings like uh, my favorite track from it is winter wonderland and <laughs> i like it ironically uh yeah. check it out <laughs> okay uh yeah my mom was listening to rem a lot in the kind of mid to late 80s and i hated it at the time and now i i love it and they um the albums are so nostalgic for me because i remember these car trips and my mom kind of singing along uh, in the front of the car and um so i don't know you must, I just, have had a re you must have like a really cool mom if she's like driving around town with the kids in the car getting groceries and like singing automatic for the people like that's really cool yeah you know they <laughs> i mean i do think i have uh relatively cool parents um and certainly uh uh pretty good taste in in music again i did not know that at the time um, but have have come to learn that uh, about them. So uh, that was my mom. Also raised me on uh, kind of the Joni Mitchell kind of. She, yeah. I mean, I, 
that that you know i have one of her guitars her 12 string guitar that she played when i was a kid she gave to me so it's mm-hmm. sitting back there but uh she would play you know Joni mitchell joan baez um real like singer songwriter stuff and so that's i i love that kind of style of music as well that sort of confessional singer songwriter um, which we sometimes don't get in choral music that that idea of um uh, like a text that's telling a story, a very personal story. Um, oftentimes composers, myself included, will take, uh, you know, a beautiful poem by Sarah Teasdale or a beautiful poem by Walt Whitman or a beautiful poem by Emily Dickinson, all of whom I've set, and we'll just kind of cl- clothe it in um, beautiful harmonies. Yeah. Um, and I really want to kind of, I'm, recently I've kind of found myself running more towards something that has a bit more bite to it. I always joke that choral music is obsessed with being beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I kind of want to explore some of the not darker regions of the human experience, but um, the more immediate ones where there's, I, I find myself saying like, I don't want to have to speak about this through poetry anymore. I just want to say what I want to say, you know? So uh, I hadn't really planned to talk about uh, you, your compositions uh, now or the, um, kind of direction of choral music, but you have hit on something that I very much wanted to talk to you about, and so I, we might as well go for it. Um, sure. Because it, it's interesting that you brought that up, because you did uh, set, uh, uh, um, you have a setting of House of the Rising Sun for mm-hmm. men's chorus, um, which uh, I think is uh, lovely, and um, I imagine um, from reading your kind of composer notes uh, with the piece that that, that had some um, personal uh, meaning to you, uh, and that that is why you chose to set it. So I, I'd be interested to hear you speak on that a little bit. That's um, that's that's an arrangement, and it's I'm as proud of it as my dissertation that it was all original music. Um, so uh, I mean, it, this will this comes surprise to no one because you know I'm it's, I'm an openly gay man, and um, when the Pulse nightclub shooting happened in uh, I don't remember what year that was, um, which uh, and that that was uh, deeply deeply hurtful um, for all the obvious reasons, um, and. Uh, this is all in the composer notes for this, so folks can you know go to my website and read this. But um, that was the largest massacre of LGBT people. Um, uh, it is; it stands as the largest one um, um, to this day. But before that, um, in 1974, I want to I want to say there was this um, this bar in New Orleans called the Upstairs Lounge, and someone set it was a gay bar, and someone set fire to it and. Uh, dozens of people burned alive inside. Um, and uh, the I think the 45th anniversary of that was coming up and Pulse had just happened. And I heard this uh, gorgeous uh, arrangement of House of the Rising Sun by, uh, I want to say, it's a, I think they're a British, I, I, anyway, it's this band. I think they're called Alt-J. Um, and uh, I heard it on uh, NPR and just dissolved into tears because it's so beautiful and i thought that's like what this place this upstairs lounge it was like mm-hmm. it was this place where people that uh nobody wanted 
they would go together and be together. And as someone who has experienced uh, a place like that, you know, where you can feel, uh, where I can feel completely at ease, you know, holding my husband's hand, uh, uh, it's it's it's. I, I wanted to kind of pay tribute to that, and I lo- and I love House of the Rising Sun as much as ever as anybody says uh, the the uh, recording of that, the version of that by the Animals is good, which is it's it is really good. It's yeah. got a great. Uh, uh, um, picking pattern in the guitar, great use of the five seven chord. Oh, it's so good. Um, I wanted to kind of m- make it that to not sound as threatening, and instead be like, you know, here's where a bunch of rakes and lovers and friends—they were all there—and they burned to death because someone murdered them. Um, so yeah, I was a really upper piece, you know, like huffs, hearts <laughs> and smiles. <laughs> well, um, what, what I loved about it. Music. What I loved about it, and um, so this sort of spoke to, you brought up storytelling in music and, and darker places in choral music. Um, but what I loved about that setting of House of the Rising Sun in particular is that um, I think that there is a subset of uh, culture in a tenor bass voiced choir uh, who may not be ready to have certain conversations still in 2021. And that they may feel uncomfortable expressing certain emotions or relating to certain people that are in the room with them. And that that same subset may be well familiar with versions of House of the Rising Sun as a classic rock song. Uh, and identify with that song, so they're 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 eager to sing it as a um, you know rock song, a pop song that they know and are familiar with. And then, you know, so I I, I remember passing the music out to uh, singers and them go, oh yeah, I know this song, this is great. But then we get to read the composer notes and we get to have these other conversations, and you kind of see this change in these singers. Uh, in the way that they relate to the music and, and, and singers who probably were not expecting to have that experience. Um, so I, I thought it was a, just a really smart um, setting and, and one that I hope more people are planning to sing because it does allow for those kinds of conversations. That is so cool. One of the things that keeps me coming back to choral music and especially to conductors like you uh, is that you all are sort of attempting uh, to create a safe space for people to just be people, you know, sure. and to sort of see one another for our own humanity. And we can find that through music. And I think that's, uh, that's so cool. Um, I'm honored to have been a little bit a part of that conversation. Uh, we were in, New- my husband and I were in New Orleans for a wedding mm. and I was like, this is our chance to go pay tribute. And then we walked to where the upstairs lounge is. And it's just a building. It's um, and there's a bronze plaque. It's pretty. You wouldn't see it unless you knew it, it was there. And it's it just has a list of the names. Um, yeah, man. I uh, you know I made myself a drink tonight. I was like, we're yeah. gonna have some fun with the composer uh, Happy Hour <laughs> podcast. And then uh, now I'm going through all these these emotions that music lets you have and yeah. lets you feed and talk about and. Um, I love that choir directors are like having the difficult conversations and in a really compassionate and empathetic way that doesn't happen everywhere. 
And you know, for anybody within the sound of my voice, like, and who has sung in a choir, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. It's a real sacred space in those four walls during those rehearsal times. Yeah. Uh, not, not to take away from the kind of um, uh, kind and beautiful and sensitive aspect of that, but you were talking about um, sort of the um, being in the present with choral music and, and being not afraid to go to dark places or uh, storytelling. I, I'm interested um, why you think that maybe doesn't happen more. Um, because I, I had a conversation once with um, a professor and we were talking about choral music and um, without getting too in-depth, the conversation sort of went that this uh, conductor thought choral music should only be used for beauty and uplifting things and um, sort of that's its role, right? Is to, to be kind and uplifting and positive. And I said, uh, and not that I'm necessarily advocating for this specifically, we were kind of talking in the general sense and this was over booze as well. Um, but I said, you know, what if someone wrote a song that was angry or what if they set text by a really hateful, awful person, but you know we're illuminating something about this or trying to communicate something? Why are we not exploring kind of the full spectrum of emotions and ways to communicate in music? Or even something so simple as why in 2021 is like profanity such a taboo in choral music when it's not in anybody's day-to-day -day social life, right? So, you know, why are we so afraid of certain things um, when we're trying to reach out to a community and a culture of people and so often looking for an audience that is not necessarily so in love already with choral music, right? If we're going to expand our audience, is it... it are we going to be able to still be afraid of some of these topics or, or this language or whatever else? Um, so I don't know if you have any uh, thought on why uh, it is, uh, why we're still setting just Sarah Teasdale poems and uh, Latin tunes. And, and... I, yeah, I think I have like four things there. <laughs> uh, and I will say like, I, I, I love Sarah Teasdale, like, um, and, and and Sister Walt, like I love Walt Whitman and Emily Dickinson cuts with the sharpest of knives. Sure. Um, uh, uh, and, and you know what? And, and Latin is fine too, right? Like, um, if it means something to you, right? Um, uh, I didn't, always, I I didn't mean to disparage that. Latin to the guy who got his big breakthrough with a, a Latin text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was on the uh, No Baton Needed podcast a couple like a couple months ago, and yeah. with Daniel Hughes, a good, wonderful uh, podcast mm -hmm. through the, the Coral Project, and uh, he was like, I was like, yeah, hey, what did I do? I like I wrote a Latin piece, and he goes, no, it doesn't count. It's not a, it's not a mass uh, ordinary, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, super nerdy joke, right? Yeah. Um, I always made this joke that like, um, and I have put thought into this. I, um, that I, I wanted to write an, an adagio for strings and have it be like, and the only word that it, the entire thing would be like the most beautiful piece. Oh, so beautiful. And the only word the choir would sing would, would be fuck the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I like, I, I, I swear, I thought through this and I was like, 
no, no, I, it's such a ugly vowel. Like you can't <laughs> sing that. And then I was like, wait a minute. Every curse word in the English language is a really ugly vowel. I mean, yeah. I don't need to like, you know, do the George Carlin routine, <laughs> you know, and like list them all off, but like say them in your head, singers. Like they're all really ugly, difficult to sing vowels. But equally problematic. <laughs> Equally problematic yeah. is that good choral musicians wouldn't sing those ugly vowels. See, they'd be singing fuck, oh, right? And there'd be a schwa at the end, and it'd be the whole thing. And Shadow vowels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think part of what the question you asked is, like, why are we not necessarily going toward these 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 other places that aren't the, you know, the, the, the poems that, or the poets that I was talking about. I, my question to that would be like, what are we afraid of? And why are we afraid of it, right? Like, are we afraid it's going to offend somebody? Well, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that offended, you know, people uh, over over the centuries that, you know, were saying some really beautiful things. Uh, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but like the life of Jesus was a transgressive life. I mean, in, in a lot of choral music, if not, you know, the vast majority is based on that transgressive life, something that was offensive at, at the time. Um, why not ask ourselves the tough questions? Um, I th it, it behooves us as artists to do those things because the vast majority of people aren't. Um, not to say that the result is going to be 100% good 100% of the time, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Well, I think about um, popular music, uh, so to speak. I, I, I sort of hate the terms popular music or art music or classical. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's music, right? Um, but uh, if, uh, for example, an artist who I, I, I think that we uh, both enjoy, uh, Ben Folds Five, uh, their first radio hit, is a song about abortion <laughs> and it's a gorgeous song and it is one that so many people can readily identify with the emotional content of not necessarily because they've been through that experience although many people have but because he's so you know kind of hard on his sleeve about the whole thing that you, you can you can kind of feel the emotion of that song and so we identify really well with that and so I, I guess that's that's the thing I wonder about you know is we I, I can't imagine a choral piece being that kind of direct about that sort of topic and I sometimes wonder why if we as a general population clearly are ready to identify with that kind of music um, how it has become so kind of compartmentalized uh, musically. I mean, there are some people, you say that, do you know that it's a piece by Julia Wolf? It's called Fire in My Mouth. Do you know this? I do not know that piece, no. Okay. Yeah, she's one of the founding members of the Bang on a Can um, uh, folks, you know, with David Lang, mm -hmm. um, who I'd love. Um, and it's about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire mm -hmm. um, in the New York, New York City um, during, you know, the Industrial Revolution where people, mostly immigrants and women, you know, uh, burned to death in this place. And it talks about issues of nationality and 
you know, I, I want to live like an American. It's like these, these, these immigrant women are like reaching out saying like, I want to be this thing. Um, I, I wrote this piece a, a few years back. Um, I, 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 the title is, it's called men. Um, mm. although there are other people who like, who would, t- would say it has a different title and that's my own fault because of how I, um, wrote it. But, yeah. <laughs> and it was the, this, this choir from, uh, the suburbs of Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, called the Flower Mound High School, and they were going to the national convention. And uh, their their wonderful conductor, uh, Dr. Mark Rower, who has been an early supporter and a consistent supporter uh, of my my stuff, he was like, "Well, we're we're going to go to the national convention uh, <laughs> and write something for us." And I was like, "Well, what do these like? What are these Texas boys?" And it's just tenors and basses, nine through twelve, fantastic singers. Um, I was like, one of these Texas boys, and it was in Minneapolis too. That was the convention that I was at. And sure. like, what, what are they going to take? You know, they want to be proud of what they, you know, what they've accomplished and they accomplish a lot. Um, and I was like, what is it like to be a kid? Like, let me see if I can remember that. And what is it like to be a teenager? And I'm, I'm a former high school choir director. I, I taught in the, uh, the twin cities for six years. Um, and it's it's tough being a kid, man. It is tough mm. being a teenager, and there's so many expectations you know put on you, and um, and yet you know something about yourself. You know that you are like you have worth, and you just want to have a voice, and you want to be taken seriously, you know. <laughs> and um, I was riding my bike around Austin, and this phrase popped into my head: "I know that I am greater than." And so I was thinking, what if they just completed that phrase, every one of them? I know that I am greater than, and then you know finish the phrase out and they sent this beautiful constellation of humanity of like i know that i'm greater than what my teachers may think of me i know that i'm greater than the color of my skin i know that i'm greater than what people think of who i love um and so they sent this and that's what i crafted the text out of and it became this beautiful really really immediate um for the listener expression of this group of kids who were <laughs> driving up I-35, they probably flew actually, uh, um, to Minneapolis to sing for the national convention. And they floated off that stage. It was so cool. And it wasn't, it was, it was a risk because, you know, anybody who has, you know, kids or has taught kids, uh, like I put them in the driver's seat and I was like crossing my fingers, like, please don't send something that was bad, you know? And for a second, you know, they were singing their own words in front of a national audience. And it was magical. Um, I was sitting next to Tim Takash at the, at the premiere. It was an orchestra hall in Minneapolis. And I got to this one, <laughs> this one rhyme that I made. And he, he like nudged me. He goes, dude, that rhyme was awesome. <laughs> it <laughs> felt, felt so good. Like, yeah. like they were, you know, the, the guys on stage were, you know, people were clapping for them, but I was like, Tim just paid me this really cool compliment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and it, it's a risk. That's the thing. Maybe that's what we're talking about. Like, why aren't we looking at, you know, something that isn't just, you know, Sarah Teasdale and Whitman and Dickinson and mass prop, uh, mass ordinaries. Um, uh, maybe it's because it's risky. Maybe you don't do want to take that risk. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so for sure. Do you, do you think that there is some idea that, uh, people are maybe writing because they are thinking about 
kind of writing for posterity's sake, that, they, that they're writing a piece that they want to last or that they think should have meaning over a broader period of time. Um, whereas, uh, you know, a singer-songwriter is kind of saying in the immediacy of, of this moment, this is what I feel and I'm communicating that to people. Um, I mean, is it a different end goal that, that creates that kind of, uh, I don't know, um, draw to certain texts or subjects? I don't know if I asked that well. <laughs> I, well. I mean, I completely understand what you're talking about. I mean, with the role of like the confessional singer songwriter, there's this, okay, so the Germans have uh, this way of having like one word and if you translate it, it's like eight words in English, right? Sure. Like like schadenfreude is the one that like we kind of all know. Um, the one that I'm thinking of with regards to like the confessional singer songwriter is this concept of innerlich, right? Which is very like inner. And the confessional singer-songwriter is literally strapping wood and metal to their body, you know, and sure. protecting themselves from, from or putting a barrier between themselves and the listeners and singing about some really, really vulnerable stuff, you know? Maybe it's, maybe it's because choirs are a group of people. And how, how do you be vulnerable as a group? Because everybody has their own vulnerabilities. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I hope, I, I mean, I've, I've become more and more interested um, through my career in kind of the, the moment, right? The, the kind of momentary interaction or creating a, um, an experience for uh, the guests, as I typically refer to my audience, as the guests who are here uh, as part of this community, um, you know, creating some sort of experience and, and saying it's about this moment right now. Uh, I've told choirs for years, nobody's going to remember what you sounded like on your spring concert five years ago. You know, they, uh, unless they're listening to a recording, they're not going to remember exactly how you sounded. But if you can make them feel something, they might remember that, right? And I think that's, we kind of all know that inherently, right? I mean, that's why most of us are in music is we've had a mm. moment or moments um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in kind of the, the immediacy of, of music and, and the kind of now of music. Uh, and that kind of is what led me to some of those questions is I, I, I think that's important. I don't know. Uh, which... I'd be curious to know, I'd be curious to know this. And this is, this is a sea change that I've seen in choir directors like, like you, like it does seem to be a generational thing. Mm. Um, Folks, you know, we're, I mean, I'm 40 years old and how old you are, but uh, uh, we're probably around the same age. 38. Um, yep. There you go. You're a, you're a spring chicken, Brad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that conductors at our age are, are having, are sort of seeing, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, I worked with a, a wonderful uh, choir director who said to me one time, uh, if you can't argue with the product, you can't argue with the process, right? So if it sounds good, who cares how they got there? <laughs> Interesting. And recently I, I saw this in uh, a choir director, a friend of me on Facebook, and I looked at their website and, and they said this, they, they said um, process is, and they had the greater than sign, process is greater than product. Mm. And I was like, wow, 
So instead of just like being the best choir, capital B, right? Maybe now what choir directors like you are doing is using the vehicle of the, the social vehicle of choir as a way to change things for the better, as opposed to sure. just singing the Mozart Ave Verum Corpus <laughs> really, really fucking well, you know? Um, Which is great also, <laughs> right? I mean, that's also great. Um, well, speaking of uh, the moments... Yes, you said I could use curse words I, on here. So I, I very much did. I, this, is, this is not uh, <laughs> not for children. Uh, that was not the, the core audience. Um, speaking of moments, what... Um, I mean, what were the moments for you? What what were those things that got you into music? I think you said senior in high school was when you got serious about it. So, what was it? How how did how did you get hooked? Uh, oh man, uh, yeah this this part of my story always makes me feel really stupid as a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, I wasn't in choir. I was not in choir until my senior. I moved around a ton as a kid. Um, Eleven times before I turned seventeen. Um, wow. And the place that I ended up was uh, in Minnesota. It's a place called Faribault High School, which is about an hour south of the Twin Cities. And um, one of the things, one of the places that I felt like kind of safe to just be a kooky, nerdy kid, and I was. <laughs> um, I was the president of the drama club, and I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and one of the places I felt kind of cool and, and safe and um, acknowledged was uh, hanging out with the musical kids. Like, So I would try out for high school musicals, um, and I, I don't like musicals. <laughs> They're just, uh, it's not a thing I like. Yeah. Um, and so my, my junior year, I was in Guys and Dolls, and I played Angie the Ox, who was a, who's a gangster with one line. Otherwise, I'm just dancing and singing <laughs> the whole time. And I had brought my guitar to practice one day, and I was like, I think I was like probably singing some Dave Matthews Band stuff, which is I, I know super, that kid. Super I know amazing. exactly the kid you were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and and the vocal director, who uh, Mr. Chris Harris, uh, he teaches. He's the choir director at Owatonna High School in Minnesota. We're still in touch to this day. So shout out to Mr. Harris, uh, with whom I would not be here. Um, he heard me singing and he was like, Josh, you're going to be in the concert choir next year. Uh, you don't get a choice. You're going to do it. So sign up for that. You're in. I'm not taking no for an answer. And I was yeah. like, okay, I guess I'll do that. Right. And my senior year was the first, you know, 17 years old, the first time I ever sang in choir. And we did the Lords and Omanium, which uh, kind of like right when it came out, you know, mid 90s. Yeah. Um, and I was uh, just blown away. Um, uh -huh. I mean, how we could you not be, the, right? It's fire cord and yeah. boom, and you're off, and you, yeah. Um, I, I've, and I've told this to to Skip <laughs> before yeah. over breakfast. I told him the whole story, and he very kindly autographed a, a score for Mr. Harris that I got to send to him. We also did the Victoria Omanium, which is just so damn good. Um, and then uh, this this other piece, this piece was kind of a fad back in the day, but uh, Past Life Melodies by mm. Sarah Hopkins. Mm -hmm. I got to be the overtone soloist nice. and uh, my mind was blown that you could even do that, you know, sort of thing. And, um, and then I, I, you know, became a choral musician and, and then I, I wasn't a composer. I had never thought of like writing music. And then my first year at Luther college, which is a, a college in Northeastern Iowa, it's a Lutheran choir school, you know, like in the same vein as like St. Olaf. Um, and I went there because <laughs> Uh, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but 
Uh, I went there because a friend of mine was there, and Dave Matthews was going to go do a live concert there, <laughs> and he got me tickets. Is it w- like the actual live at Luther that was on the CD? Uh, so it was the return on that. It had just ah. come out, and he had come back. Um, yeah. So I wasn't at, I wasn't present for the recording of Dave Matthews, Tim Reynolds, live at Luther College. Which is but, unfortunate because uh, it's a great, great recording. It's a really good yeah. uh, CD. It's a great album. Um <laughs> And my mom and dad didn't really know what to do with me, you know? <laughs> and so uh, my very pragmatic, you know, Midwestern mother was like, well, Josh, you can go, you can go take it. You can go to that Dave Matthews concert down at Luther. Okay. But you got to take a scholarship audition and you got to take an admissions tour and you got to apply. Okay. And I was like, all right, mom, I just really want to see Dave Matthews. <laughs> and uh, so I auditioned for a guitar scholarship, which I got. Um, and, um, you know, fell in love with the campus. It's yeah. and shout out to all my Luther people out there. It's uh, I ran into one, I ran into a person with a Luther College music bag on out in Harvard Square the other day, and I was like, "Hey," and we totally connected. Uh, nice. Yeah, that, that those are those are those are my pieces. Uh, I'd be curious to know what your pieces are. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I so I'm a little bit the opposite. I was singing in every preschool and elementary school choir and show and everything, you know, church choir and the whole thing. Um, my parents uh, were not, uh, I mean, they weren't playing anything seriously uh, as I grew up, but um, my dad had a lot of instruments in the house. My dad played guitar. My mom played flute and piano they both played a little piano they met in high school choir my parents did um and again they didn't it's not like they pursued music after that um but always had music around and um you know there's videos of me as a little kid banging on the piano and um, i remember i had a, a really badass fraggle rock banjo uh that was just i mean i was gobo fraggle anytime i could be uh, uh, How jazzed were you when Ben Folds uh, Five reunited oh, and they had the Fraggles in the video? <laughs> that was, I mean, it was a big thing. It was a big thing. I'm really geeked out about the Muppet Show being available on Disney Plus. I've been watching. Uh, I've got a uh, nine and a half month old son, and we don't watch a lot of television, but occasionally a little bit of Sesame Street, and like he's into it, and so I'm super excited. Uh, so, so I, I, music was always a thing. Um, but I also was, um, n- as I'm sure a lot of, uh, young people are not, I was not very, um, either very self-aware or very self-assured. Um, I, I always acted it though. Um, so I was not, uh, always a nice kid. Um, I, I put on kind of a lot of bravado all the time. I was smart and I let, um, that kind of speak for me maybe more than I should have and being like, again, not nice to other people, but always kind of puffed up my own skills a little bit. And if I auditioned for something and I didn't get it, I'd kind of go, oh, what is that? What do they know? I should, I should be that part. Or I can't believe I didn't get into this choir. Obviously, obviously I should have. Um, but I always did it, and I, I didn't know that music was going to be a thing. I thought in high school, I thought I was going to go uh, be a lawyer because I like arguing as anyone who... Emergency room doctor. That was my... Yeah. 
anybody who knows me uh, will tell you that uh, I like arguing quite a bit. Uh, I, I like the discourse. I don't know. Um, but, uh, and in fact, I didn't go to college my freshman year. Uh, I went to the University of Illinois uh, because I'd grown up in Champaign and uh, moved to Vegas midway through high school. Went back to Illinois and uh, was like a general music major in the uh, liberal arts college. Basically just farting around. I didn't know what I was, didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I somewhere along the line decided I was going to uh, uh, major in music and I ended up back at UNLV and uh, in Vegas and David Wheeler, da uh, uh, Weiler, David Weiler. Weiler. Yeah, Weiler. Um, that's right. Uh, but You've sung some Go Lovely Roses then, probably, I imagine. Uh, no, because even in college, I didn't make the uh, chamber singers. And then uh, I think I auditioned for him my second year there, and he told me I had an, a nice lyrical voice, uh, <laughs> which was code for you don't have any sort of connection and, you know, whatever. You can, like, sing in, in tune-ish. Uh, and... Uh, and then I swore off it, and I just kind of didn't acted like I didn't care, right? So I didn't audition again. But there's there's lots of moments. I um, I talked about this longer than I intended to. Uh, my when I moved from Illinois to Las Vegas, it was halfway through my sophomore year of high school, which was devastating, right? I'd yeah. lived in the same I, place. I had a similar thing happen. Same place basically my whole life, um, and I'm still friends, you know, uh, lifelong friends with these people that I grew up with. And it was so hard. And when I got to Vegas in January of 1998, third week of January, I found out they were singing at the ACDA Western Regional in Reno, like the second week of March. Biggest little city in the world. Uh-huh. And my director uh, said, if you can learn the music, you can sing with us, right? It's six weeks away, whatever. And we sang, um, uh, Battle at Jericho by Moses Hogan, and we sang uh, the um, Randall Thompson Alleluia. And oh, I just took a uh, pilgrimage to his grave. It's I, actually, I saw that on Facebook. Twenty minutes from here, yeah. And we saw we sang uh, Eric Whitaker's Cloudburst, um, and all. Uh, anyway, Moses Hogan was in the audience for the performance, and we got a standing ovation at the end of this performance, and it was just. I had not known choral music to be that. My previous experiences were something entirely different. So I think that was probably the performance that let me know this other world was possible. Um, I didn't know it at the time that that was the direction I'd go in, but that was kind of the, the, the seed was planted, as it were. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those Moses Hogan arrangements are... Epic. I yeah. love them so much. Uh, you know, I love Elijah Rock. Um, I love, I got, I got a home in, in that rock. That one's a yes. fantastic one. And then I think this is an original composition. Um, I'm going to sing till the spirit mm. moves in my heart. Yeah. Just yeah. really fantastic. Uh, the Luther College Nordic Choir did that one. Oh, I wasn't in it at the time, but with Weston, um, Weston Noble. Um, yeah. I was never in. It took me four years to get into that top choir, and uh, I'm just, just sort of thinking about how transformative choral music has been. Yeah, throughout my life, and it, 
I want to try to I talk about this a lot, but the cycle of mentorship, right? Mm. Um, and I'm constantly, as a teacher, I'm constantly trying to pay back the folks that, you know, showed me this brilliant, shiny little jewel called choral music that changed my life, you know? And uh, trying to hand a little bit of back, back to history, you know, mm -hmm. to, to show other, in the next generation, the same thing. Um, that Randall Thompson, Hallelujah, is so good. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's like, it's old fashioned, right? And it's, yeah. but it's so good. It's like, you could, you could sight read that and make, it would sound incredible, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, I don't, uh, not that we're wrapping up, but I do want to make sure before we, um, before our time is done, I, I want to know if there's, um, if you were able to just kind of talk to the, general high school music director or maybe middle school director you know choir folks who may not have programmed your music before though i'm sure there are not that many of them left because people program your music because it's gorgeous and they love it um, oh, but what you. are the things that if i was a high school choir director and i'd never done your stuff and uh you know i, I don't have the choir that i'm taking to the acda conference but i've got uh, you know, nice kids that work hard. What are the pieces of yours uh, that you think people should know or should be uh, interested and excited in? Um, I mean, the, the ones that people know would be like the boy who picked up his feet to fly. Um, uh, the one that I, I would say I'm the most excited about uh, is I wrote a setting of Stopping by Woods in a Snowy Evening, um, which I think it was 2019, I think it came up into the public domain. Mm -hmm. And the Robert Frost estate is like sort of famously litigious about right. that, that particular right. poem. Um, and it came available and I took like two weeks and I was like, uh, I'm doing it. And so I wrote this piece that I'm very proud of. It's, I, I had up until that point kind of really been, you know, goof around with some really kind of like esoteric intellectual stuff, uh, which is fine. Um, and I was like, let me, I just want to take and dip my toe back into the pool of like, four part, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, melodic and lyrical. Uh, and so I wrote this piece, it's published, uh, you can get it through graphite marketplace. Um, and, uh, I'm really proud of that piece. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I've directed it once for, a um, there was a, uh, honor choir festival, like Gustavus Adolphus college. And, St. Peter, Minnesota, and they had me in, and I got to direct it with like a hundred high school kids, and it was so much fun. Um, that's the one I would I would say I'd plug that one, um, big time. Yeah, well, I will. Uh, I, I've done the boy who picked up his feet to fly, uh, and the same year I think actually that was on my master's recital uh, with my high school students. And very cool. Uh, Thank you. We did uh, a Christmas Carol on the same concert, which I love. Um, and I think maybe earlier that year with a different choir, we did um, The Arrow and the Song with my mm. my young women's scores. Yeah, I wrote that piece for a middle school choir. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah. And it's one high school directors really should know and middle school directors because what, what I like about so much of your music is that you build into these very kind of lush, thick harmonies. 
and sort of extend chords a little bit and you know have all the kind of non-chord tones in there but they always come from sort of a simple place not always but they often come from a simple place where you know it's either a unison that then builds harmonies or it's a chord and then on the next measure you go and kind of add all these other notes in and so the the design of it kind of structurally right from a learning perspective it, it feels to the singer like they're learning something really complicated. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like they feel like they're yeah, singing. Yeah, that's because I'm a, I'm a terrible musician. No, because like no, when no, I, no. When, when I was coming up and learning to sing, I was like, I couldn't leap into a dissonance. <laughs> so I was like, I got to make this uh, easier for me to sing. And that's kind of like where that comes from. <laughs> but, it, 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 but it's so smart. And it's great that um, it, it allows singers to feel really confident and free in their singing, even when they're getting to this eight-part chord, uh, you know, with a major seventh, and that you know, there's all this kind of stuff that you know, crunchy chords. Crunchy. I hate, <laughs> I hate that term. Um, but you know, I, as soon as you started to do the air quotes, I was like, he's going to say crunchy. <laughs> but the arrow in the song, right? For a um, a young young soprano alto choir, uh, it's basically unison for most of the piece, right? Mm -hmm. um, or octaves, but basically unison. And then it just does these little kind of do, re, mi all at once, right? These three notes all together at the end yeah, of a it's phrase. It's still unbroken. Yeah, it's right. Fluster of and, three chords, yeah, and, or three, three edges, And these yeah. young singers go, oh, right? Like <laughs> they're not used to singing stuff that has kind of those close harmonies. And so um, that that I think is one of the things that I get really excited about when when programming your music is I know my singers are going to feel kind of empowered uh, vocally uh, from you. singing that. So uh, it probably also comes from my my directing background too. The only grade that I've never taught K through twelve, all the way up to grad school, uh, is seventh grade. I've never taught seventh graders, huh. which could be to my benefit or my detriment. I don't know, depending on you ask. But... Now uh, here's. <laughs> Here's a thing uh, that I, I wanted to ask you about, and uh, I, I hope I hope this is well received because I thought this was really interesting. I was talking to uh, a colleague uh, and told them I was going to be chatting with you, and they said they said you know reading uh, about what he posts on Facebook and the things he's really interested in and excited about. I'm surprised that he writes the choral music that he writes. And I don't know exactly what that, what that means, but um, uh, you, are, uh, you have a wide variety of interests, and I, I think you've posted some things about um, maybe some more uh, avant-garde music or more kind of extended harmonies or certain composers that I know that you really like. Um, that that may not have uh, may have a different compositional style than you. So uh, uh, I guess the question is either do you have any thought on that or um, you know how do the things that interest you being this kind of vast varied thing factor into the music that you make and why do you think that you write music the way that you write it? Not to say that all your music is the same or similar but certainly I think that you have um, a voice that is um, that someone can see in your music. 
Uh, thank, thank you for that question. Whoever that, you know, um, totally received well, by the way. Good. T- taking this compliment. Um, I feel, I don't feel like sometimes with social media that I have my sea legs on there yet. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, um, there's this really great quote from the American composer Ned Roram, who if, if he's of an older generation, mm. he's in his nineties now. He's still he's still around. Um, and I read his uh, New York. He's also a very famous diarist, right? Mm-hmm. So he published his his diaries, which is a thing that some people do. Uh, and as a as a as a young composer, young gay composer, I read his stuff and like found. Found some, th- he you know he was saying some things that I couldn't quite articulate yet, and I was like, oh yeah, I got you, yep. And he said, uh, I write the music that I write because no, it's no one else is writing it. Like it, it's the music that I love, and there's just not enough of it, so I have to make it myself. Um, and I, when you talk about like the music that I that I love that I posted on social media, um, the one that comes to mind is. Uh, uh, Knut Nistet, uh, mm-hmm. who is, um, I, com- I am a total stand for, uh, <laughs> I had a chance to meet him one time in Oslo and I completely chickened out. That's how nerdy I am about, uh, Knut Nistet's work. Um, I, I think that I-, I love a piece like Okrux, right? Which is, his- it's just such an incredible piece. Um, but I can't, I'm not that complicated. Um, <laughs> and I don't think that I could do that, uh, because I love, you know, I want to say like I love pop music too, too much to do that kind of tertian relationship, open in a you know big cluster of half steps all stacked together. Um, but I don't know. I I uh, you have to let me know like off the air like who this person is because I want to know like what exactly it is that they're reacting to. I'm having not. It's totally fine by yeah. the way. Um, but I, I'm would be interested to know what that specifically means, and then like what my social media personality is like perceived to be. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know uh, I don't know what exactly the mindset was, but I um, I yeah I don't I don't know I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, uh, presume to uh, speak. Uh, on their behalf uh, but i i thought it was an interesting I, I just thought it was an interesting sort of off-the-cuff observation sure. uh let me let's i want to kind of move on from uh we this has actually been maybe a more meaningful conversation than i than i thought it would be and i that's great um but i i thought we uh, perhaps it would just be about more casual stuff so i'm going to ask you about some uh very very casual things Oh, I have, I have a list of questions for you too, so don't worry. Great, casual uh, stuff. <laughs> albums. What? Who? Artists on the radio. Nobody listens to the radio, but uh, you know, people releasing albums today. Who are you really into? What? What? What has you excited? Um. Oh, geez. Um. So I have a. I have a playlist on Spotify, which is just called Spotify's uh-huh. <laughs> for me. A lot of things that I found on there. Um, and, uh, Dua Lipa, I think is really fantastic and is doing some great work. Um, certain tracks by Billie Eilish, I love, um, I'm not really into the whole kind of like whispered into the mic thing. Um, 
which is why I'm not a huge fan of Lana Del Rey, although she's fantastic. Um, I've recently, this song that I'm, it's like sort of the song of the week. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're a college professor, right? So like, um, and I always, I always say this to my students, like, um, on the very first day, like, what's your name? What are your pronouns? Where are you from? What's your major? You know? Uh, and then my last one is like, what kind of music are you excited about today? Yeah. Because uh, whenever someone, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like whenever someone, you know, you meet that's, you know, new and they find out you're a musician professionally and they're like, what kind of music do you like? And then immediately you're like, what kind of a stupid question is that? Yeah. Like, I love, I love all kinds of music. Yeah. I, I love good music, you know, right. like I love Bach. I love, um, I love Tenacious D is one of my favorite bands. Um, and so my question is always like, what kind of music are you excited about today? So like the thing that I'm excited about this week is um, it's a track from a Steely Dan album. Uh, it's called Babylon Sisters. It's from their album Gaucho. And it they do a sports sondo in it that is so, so cool. Um, I ran into the music director of the Minnesota Orchestra at a Steely Dan concert one time. He's a Finnish guy. His name's Osmo Vanska. And he was walking down the aisle and I was like, uh, I think I was there with my dad, and I had two Michelob Golden Lights, like one in each hand. I was bringing back to the seat for yeah. me and my dad, and I'm walking down the aisle, and Osmo Vanska, this like six foot six Finnish guy who I, I know is the director of the Minnesota Orchestra, is coming full clip right at me, and I was like, "Oh, I have to say hi. This is going to be really embarrassing, but I can't stop." You know, right. <laughs> I, was like, I said hi to him. Um, so that's that's music I'm really excited about uh, this week. Um, I have also been really, um, so I, I, I co-host a podcast with my my wonderful colleague Dr. John Fielder, and he's an electron uh, electronic musician, electroacoustic stuff. Um, we have kind of an abiding love for each other, uh, but we write extremely different music. Um, he told me one time, he's like, you know what kind of music you write, Josh? And I was like, kind of what I write, John. He goes. You write diatonic, schmaltzy, meh. <laughs> and I was like, John, you son of a bitch. What do you, do? you know what you write, John? He's like, what do I write, Josh? And I was like, you write angular, dissonant, kerplunkety bullshit. That's yeah. what you write. And he goes, you know what? You're totally right. You know, and then we sure. clinked our glass. Yeah. At, you know. And so we're, what we've noticed is that there's, um, there's a lot of folks who argue at each other from these two different sides of the aesthetic camp. And we can never understand why, what the big fuss is about. Like you can be, you can love someone's music and not ascribe to the same aesthetic. So we, we do this podcast and it's just called, have you heard this? In which, um, each one of us brings a piece and says, John, I'm like, John, listen to this piece and let's talk about it. And he's like, great, Josh, listen to this piece and let's talk about it. Um, and uh, the reason I bring this up is that uh, the piece that I'm bringing, not for the next episode, but the one after, is uh, Contra Quiroz by, uh, from uh, The Lords and the Rose Cycle. Yeah. Um, and there's a recording of it by the singers, Minnesota Choral Artists. Mm -hmm. um, it's on their album, Midwinter Songs. And I cannot stop going back to that album. Hmm. Um, and uh, it has a special place in my heart because... I'm, I'm on it. I'm, I'm the bass section leader for that choir and in that recording, not anymore. Uh, but I love Lordson's music. I, and I've tried to write it before, you know, yeah. and I can't do it. There's just something in those, you know, in, in those ears, uh, you know, that he has something special. Um, 
And that's my music of the week is uh, Steely Dan and Martin Lawrence. There you go. Uh, do you like, uh, do you listen to singles? Do you like albums? I've singles. Uh, are you a sports fan? You like any sports? I like watching football with people, mm -hmm. but I don't follow any sports team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are you, what are you binging right now? What are you, uh, I mean, it's a, a pandemic, so everything, right? But I mean, what's, what are you excited about watching uh, lately or what has brought you joy watching? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, let me pick three things. Um, what I have on when I'm like cooking dinner uh, is I hadn't, up until this year, this last month, I'd never seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I'm watching it now and laughing it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, Andre Brower as, uh, as, the, the chief, as the captain is so funny. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, um, I, I, uh, my husband and I are also really into watching like bad movies. Yeah. Uh, there's a podcast called How Did This Get Made, which is a fantastic podcast. It's a, uh, three improv comedians from L.A., and they talk about um, uh, just bad movies, uh, like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies from the 90s, which, for the record, are not bad. They're fucking, they're well, awesome. Right? Well. <laughs> they're not supposed to be bad. We'll say that. Like, <laughs> okay, um, yeah. Yeah, and then I've been really loving this documentary about the history of film. Uh, it's on Hulu. It's called Film and Odyssey. Um, and I can't remember who who did it. It's hosted by what I assume to be a, a Northern Irish guy because it's this really distinctive accent. Um, so those, those three things, that's kind of what I'm binging right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, cooking, you mentioned cooking. Uh, are you in fact a vegetarian? I am. Yeah. Uh, and so what is your favorite, uh, I'm most certainly not uh, a vegetarian. Um, what, uh, what's your favorite, like vegetarian dish? This is the one like people who say, Oh, I have to have meat. I need, I I'm a meat eater. What would you serve them that they would say, oh, I like vegetarian dishes? Uh, well, so for the record, uh, uh, meat is delicious. Uh, <laughs> sure. uh, I, yeah, um, I'm a vegetarian for the environmental stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, um, uh, the thing that I can, uh, I'll say there's, there's a recipe that I developed and it took me like four years to do. Uh, and I am as proud of it as my best piece of music. <laughs> and it's for a vegetarian Thanksgiving gravy. Um, okay. I served it to my brother during, so in my family, it's called Shanksgiving because sure. of our name. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I made, I made the turkey gravy cause I can, I can hang, you know, I can do that. Um, uh, but then I also made, uh, this, this vegetarian Thanksgiving style gravy and my brother who like, you know, cooks racks of ribs, you know, yeah, sure. whole salmons, you know, um, he was like, Josh, this is so good. It's even better than the, the meat stuff. And so. That one, I have a pretty bomb chili that I can do. Okay. Um, and then uh, you just can never go bad with uh, America's Test Kitchen and their recipes. Uh, yeah, those are my vegetarian things. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, and you cycle. You're a cycler. Yes, not so much right now, um, but that is um, kind of I mean, the um, main. My main transport is not now uh, because you're under lots of snow and it's freezing outside. Is that? <laughs> Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. And you're a recent transplant to the Northeast. Very, very, very recent. Uh, how are how are you finding it? Is it have you lived in that part of the country before? I know you you said you've moved around quite a bit. Yeah, no, uh, I've I've never lived in the Northeast, uh, so it's it's been wicked awesome, as they uh -huh. say up here. Uh huh. Good. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you are uh, 
enjoying it. I've visited very little of, of the Northeast. That's probably the part of the country I know the least. And I, I mean, I feel like I've been a lot of places, uh, but just very little time. I like it. A, a couple of trips to New York very briefly. And that's about it. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're in Cambridge, uh, like about five minutes away from Harvard. Um, so there's a lot of history around here, so we can walk to see places just to get out of the house yeah. and see them. It's something cool, you know. Um, which has been nice. Yeah, yeah. I saw you were on. I have a question um, for you. Yeah, I have a question for you. Okay, uh, what's your favorite Ben Folds or Ben Folds Five song? In three, two, one. I mean, okay. So I would. I think probably the like most perfectly crafted composition is selfless, cold and composed oh. as like a, here's the song that is the song. Right. Um, I have a really special place in my heart for evaporated um, because uh, it was one of the first that I could play start to fourth. finish. Yeah. I sang it on a uh, um, choir show choir, uh, like, concert in high school really poorly i sang it but um and it's funny because i sang it so much in high school i can't sing it with my adult 38 year old much more trained voice i i can only <laughs> sing it like a senior in high school every time i just like revert back to this voice so I, that's um that's really cool that one has a, a special place but i mean it, it changes all the time, right? Because I, uh, I, I, I love it, right? I love all of them, so, yeah. Uh, I, I learned to play piano via Ben Fold's uh, piano books. Yeah, right. Like, I need to, my, I've I got them all upstairs. I need some scales, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I have them all in the closet. I have there. them all upstairs, and my son has become a good listener. We concert before his naps for 20 minutes or so. And cool. I mostly play uh, either Ben Folds or I've been playing a lot of Gabriel Kahane tunes lately and, and singing. Mm. And so that's kind of, I think, been mostly the soundtrack of his uh, young young life is Ben Folds and Gabe Kahane. Uh, there's a, there's a one, I, I annoyed the hell out of my colleagues when I was a teacher because I played Alice Childress all yeah, the time. It's a great tune. That's, <laughs> it's that's a great piano rotation all the time. Yeah. <laughs> great tune. And then I also wanted to ask, uh, what podcast do you listen to? Boy, not not many. Um, I uh, don't think I had ever listened to a podcast until after Serial was over. And I was mm -hmm. on Facebook and people were like, oh, Serial, the last episode, you gotta... And so I, like a dummy, like posted on Facebook, what's this show, Serial, and where can I watch it? Because I couldn't fathom that people were just listening to something. It's a rookie mistake, Pearson. Yeah, I, I felt like it's such a dummy. Because, um, anyway, uh, but I listened to that um, and then uh, started listening to the Undisclosed podcast, uh, which mm -hmm. is, you know, right, uh, related. Uh, and I've that's been kind of the one that I keep listening to because I think they do a nice job and now they feel so familiar, right? The... The, the three hosts are people that I, I kind of feel like I know their personalities and like to hear them talk. And I'm uh, fascinated by just all the uh, garbage in our um, uh, judicial system, right? And, I, and you hear these stories and, um, you know, of course, 
they're compelling storytellers. So you want to believe that all the people they're saying wrong are wrongly convicted are in fact wrongly convicted. You're rooting for 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 the um, like Adnan Saeed. Yeah. yeah, you're rooting for them, and you have to acknowledge that they're presenting a biased story, right? That's the story they're trying to tell. And so I don't know if it's true, but I do know um, that there are so many um, people wrongfully convicted uh, all the time and that our incarceration numbers are out of control and that they disproportionately affect certain communities and that, um, you know, the the preposterous sort of war on drugs that still uh, seems to be being waged is just ridiculous. And so I, I find that all... Uh, to be really interesting and really um, compelling. Uh, I, there are other podcasts that I've listened to that I like, but I don't, I'm a, I like, I watch a lot of television, to be honest. I like TV. I started when I, I didn't, I didn't so much when I was younger, but when I started teaching uh, high school, you carry that job with you when you leave, right? Yeah. Um, and I taught in a poor school in North Las Vegas my first three years teaching. We had gunshots on campus uh, as a what's felt like a regular occurrence. Um, and I just went home all the time feeling lousy and feeling like I was not um, serving my students well and that I was not good enough to be their teacher and how can I help them? And, you know, uh, so wine and television uh became a really good way to kind of just like shut your brain down right you just go i can't i can't i can't deal with that so getting lost in in tv uh was helpful and i still sort of prefer tv to movies because the the storyline is so much longer um and i like i like character development so i'm interested in um uh, I think the best writers find a way to make even the most evil character uh, compelling or someone that you root for or at least understand, right? Um, so any show where the, the bad guy, you kind of go, well, but I see their point, you know, uh, I think is, is... Probably the most prominent example of that would be like Thanos. Uh, sure. At least the modern prominent example yeah. of that. Uh, uh, <laughs> Renan Clausen told me one time, this is my first two years of teaching, He's like, you know, when you're a first year teacher and you just come home and you collapse on the floor. Right. <laughs> I was like, I felt seen. I was right? like, oh my gosh, I, you, that's that's not that's normal. Well, thank God. I <laughs> dented the roof of my car my first year teaching because I punched up, and so there was this kind of bubble on the roof of my car. I just had uh, just felt so inadequate. Um, so uh, when I when I lived in Austin. Uh, some people will know who this person is. Uh, tennis people will know who this person is. But his name is Andy Roddick. Yeah. And he was a very, very prominent, famous tennis player. And I worked for him <laughs> for, for like a year in Austin uh, at a, his foundation, which yeah. was an after-school care program for um, low-income, at-risk neighborhoods sure. in Austin. Very predominantly, obviously, uh, in neighborhoods uh with uh, hispanic folks and black folks and like, like as a teacher you kind of you grow your empathy a lot mm. and you we're pretty good at you know knowing the challenges that students can face sometimes and that year and a half just absolutely changed 
how I felt about the world and what I felt like I needed to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, kids in back-breaking poverty and um, constantly in trauma and all stuff like that. So uh, we, but we don't need to get back into all that, <laughs> that, uh, that stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. If you, if you, if you, um, if you like um, Serial, you might like a podcast. It's a limited run. It's like eight episodes. It's called S-Town, uh, which it stands for shit town. Um, and it's a it's a really fantastic story. Um, I I kind of feel like I listened to it, but I I can't remember. It's about this really eccentric gay man who had like a labyrinth in his in rural Mississippi, or rural somewhere. He has a really distinctive way of talking. I, um, yes, now now I remember. We actually uh, my wife and I listened to that. We were driving to Pittsburgh just for a weekend, and and that was what we we finished it between the the there and back it's good it was it was very good it was very good um and that's another one where um characters who are maybe uh less than savory are uh compelling you're you're rooting for people who are not uh even maybe that likable uh yeah which is i when he when he kind of does what he does mm -hmm. at the end you know um not to spoil it for anybody I was listening. I was like vacuuming in the house, and I had to like take a knee because like my breath got taken away. Um, so sad. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what what are, what are you excited about choir wise? What are you doing this now? Like something that you're excited about? Uh, you know, uh, uh, well, let me tell you um, what I'm not excited about <laughs> because that <laughs> that actually I am, um, and I I'm sh someone's gonna get bent out of shape about this because uh, every time I say something somebody does uh i am so exhausted by virtual choirs mm. and i know that that is what we have that's what what so many people have for their ensembles is just recording virtual choirs and when you do that then you feel compelled to edit and you feel compelled to make things as good as they can be um, because you're going to put out a representation of uh, you or your students or your singers or whatever. There are, of course, also people um, who are just releasing, the, constantly releasing the next pop acapella, you know, split screen video. And it's so highly edited that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like music to me anymore. It is um, so precise and so... Um, it's taken all the human element out of it. So uh, that is to say that I'm uh, I'm excited that Wellerman was big on TikTok, uh, and sea shanties are uh, people are getting excited about. Um, my uh, sort of choral project, whatever and ever, amen, which is what who is officially releasing uh, our time together. Um, you know, when we were doing events, it was in bars and we would sing some serious music, um, but then we would sing drinking songs and invite the audience to, uh, or, or guests to sing with us. And I, that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I miss right now is um, the casual sharing of music with people in my immediate presence. Um, and so I am so desperately ready uh, for things to be a little bit more normal so that we can go and I can get into a bar with people that I 
love and care about and sing with people that I've never met before and uh, share a few pints um, because that's that's what gets me the most excited. Uh, I remember when I got an email from you, the very first email, and you talked about whatever and ever I'm in. And I saw that and I was like, I bet I'm going to like this guy because <laughs> it's a for those people who don't know, it's like the title of a Ben Folds 5 album, you know? Many um, do not know, and I've heard a lot of uh, whatever ramen um, or uh, <laughs> people that just, they don't, they don't quite understand, they, they, they have no concept of what it is. Uh, and so it's always nice when somebody reads it and they get it. Uh, and then I go, right, yeah, okay, good. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. How about this? Let's, I propose a toast, if you have any left. I, um, no, oh, just a little bit. Just Great. a little. Um, to, to, to when we can be back together and singing. Indeed. Indeed. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for episode two of the Composer Happy Hour, presented by Whatever and Every Amen. Thank you to our guest, Joshua Shank, for spending some time with us. You know, my favorite part of these first two episodes is that I had never really spent any time chatting with either of my guests prior to our recording. But in each instance, it felt somehow a little bit like talking with an old friend. But Josh, I think our mutual admiration of one Benjamin Folds has a lot to do with that. And uh, if you're a Folds fan, well, you get it. Tonight we talked about some of Josh's music, but we didn't even get a chance to mention my favorite, his color madrigals. They are stunning, and if you don't know them, go give them a listen as soon as you're done here. Trust me. Our guest next time is Mari Isabel Valverde. I look forward to sharing another drink with you then. As always, if you liked what you hear, you can show us some love and buy us a beer by visiting us at buymeacoffee.com slash whateverchoir. That's buymeacoffee.com slash whateverchoir. Clicking the support link at the bottom of the page. Your contributions go to supporting future projects by whatever and ever amen. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.